Hello, welcome to Live from CapTime's IdeaFest. I'm Eric Lawrenson with the Capital Times. Over the course of the coming days, we're bringing you recordings of interviews and conversations from our first ever IdeaFest at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. Today, considering the best case for Wisconsin's future economy, Five panelists from the worlds of finance, technology, manufacturing, and higher education weigh in on what the state needs to prioritize if it hopes to remain competitive in the coming years. Jeff Mayers of WisPolitics moderates the discussion about workforce, automation, government policy, and plenty more. All right, let's get started. I hope you enjoy the talk. So let me introduce our all-star panel for this big topic. First off, welcome UW-Madison Chancellor Rebecca Blank. Um, she came to Madison in 2013. She's an economist, she can, so she can talk about these things. She's worked in uh, three different presidential administrations, most recently as Commerce Secretary under President Obama. She received her undergrad degree in economics from University of Minnesota, we won't hold that against you, and holds a doctorate degree, doctorate degree from MIT. Next we have Jack Daniels, the third. He's the Madison College president. Dr. Daniels has more than 30 years of higher education experience ranging from community and technical colleges to graduate institutions. His expertise includes strategic and master planning, economic development, and community engagement. So he's very well qualified uh, to uh, be on this panel. Prior to his role as president of Madison College, Dr. Daniels served as president of Los Angeles Southwest College, Lincoln Land College Community College, Houston Community College, Central College, and uh, in addition to working with locally, uh, w locally with economic and community development and educational initiatives. And his degrees include uh, a bachelor's degree from Huntington Indiana College and a PhD from the Wright Institute Graduate School of Psychology in Berkeley. Okay, next we have Kevin Conroy. And Kevin is uh, chairman, and, uh, chairman of the board and CEO and president of Exact Sciences. He joined that company in 2000 and nine. And his previous uh, resume includes uh, president of Third Wave Technologies, and uh, he was also intellectual property counsel at GE Healthcare, chief operating officer uh, and uh, venture-backed uh, technology companies including uh, McDermott, Will, and Emery, and um, Petishaw, McAuliffe, Newberry. And so he has a, uh, uh, his uh, degrees come from University of Michigan Law and Michigan State University. So welcome, Kevin. And we have uh, Brian Burke. And Brian is the managing partner of Sun Mountain Capital, one of the managers of the state-sponsored Badger Fund. Uh, he's a co-founder and managing partner of Sun Mountain Capital. And prior to uh, forming this, uh, this venture firm, he was vice president and director of private equity at Fort Washington, Washington Capital Partners. And so he has an MBA from the Kellogg School of Management and a BS in Economics from Carleton College. So welcome, Brian. And last but certainly not least, we have Kurt Bauer. He's president and CEO of WMC. That's the state's largest business organization. And uh, it represents 3,800 employers of all sizes from every sector of the economy. Prior to joining WMC, Kurt Bauer spent 18 years working for financial industry trade groups, including serving as the head of both the Wisconsin and Arizona Bankers Association. And he's a Wisconsin native and graduate of UW-Madison. So we're gonna start with Chancellor Blank. This is your house after all. And I like this question because it's something that we could uh, talk about on the terrace on a day like this. 
shooting the breeze about the future of the state. So what's the, looking down the, uh, the board here, 25 years or so, what's the best case that you see for Wisconsin's future economy? Well, thank you, Jeff, and welcome, everyone. We're delighted to have the um, Capital Times Idea Fest here on campus. Um, so the Wisconsin economy is tied to the national economy, and we're not going to grow faster than them. So let's assume that we don't hit another great recession in the national economy and that there's sort of steady, I mean, the best case scenario here is about 3% growth at the national level. So the question is, how does Wisconsin keep up with that? And as you look around Wisconsin, you want your cities to grow and thrive, and you want that to spread to some of your small towns and rural areas as well. Um, Madison is having explosive growth in some areas, and keeping Madison on that track, you know, there are a number of people who talk about Madison being the next Austin, Texas, which was one of the growth miracles of the last 20 years, and Madison can do that um, in the next 20 years if the right things come together, and a lot of them are in place here. So you can see this place really being the center of a high-tech, high-innovation startup economy. I think that is the absolute best case, and that will in turn drive other growth. Milwaukee probably won't be in that role. What you want Milwaukee to be is the center not only for some of the financial services and other things that are there, but also to be the center for really advanced high-tech manufacturing, and that they grow that in that area of the state. Um, the biggest guarantee for doing that is making sure we have the workforce we need. And that just means not just people, but also skills. Um, if you look at what jobs are going to grow over the next 20 years, it's disproportionately going to be high-skilled jobs that require at least two years, if not four years or more, of school. So maintaining the um, best possible higher education system in this state is deeply important to ending up in the best-case scenario um, 20, 25 years from now. Okay. Madison College President Daniels, take a shot at this. Uh, as I think about the best case and looking out 25 years, we're talking about a, a population that is well-trained, a population that has the post-secondary credentials to meet the jobs that are going to be here. Uh, we talk about what new jobs are going to be 25 years from now, but it's here, right here today. We talk about healthcare. We talk about the support um, occupations in healthcare. We talk about IT. All of those will demand post-secondary credentials. I think the second thing is I look at where we need to be is ensuring that everyone have equal access to our training and education throughout our entire educational systems. Uh, that's going to be very important. Uh, we've had a, you know, we've heard over the past few years about some of the disparities that we have in our educational programs. Uh, I was think that in 25 years we would have not just tackled it, but we had solved some of those issues where we do have that open access for successful students who are going to meet the workforce, workforce needs of tomorrow. Okay. Kevin Conroy, Exact Sciences. Thank you, and thanks to the co-panelists for joining today and for all of you to come to the uh, session. It's a really important session because when you look at what is happening in this state, we have a rapidly aging population. We have about three-quarters of, of a million people who are retired today. That's expected to double within the next two decades. And um, then when you look at our economy, we have about 20% of our economy is manufacturing-based, but only about 10% of the job growth and only about 5% of new companies are manufacturing-based. 
And to be successful in business, we know that you always have to do three things for the long call. You have to extend and defend your core business. In, in the case of Wisconsin, that happens to be manufacturing. But then you need to do two other things, and one of them is to create emerging opportunities, opportunities like we have done at Exact Sciences, where we've gone from two people to, uh, we'll be at 1,000 people shortly in the state. We have 800 employees and 200 job openings. So you need to really focus on innovation. And I think that's a, a topic. Innovation is not going backwards. The question is who's going to get their fair share of it? Are we going to kind of go along at the nation's rate of growth, or are we going to ex exceed it? With a growing population, you have to exceed it. And then finally, you need to have some big ideas that change the economy for the long call. Things, if you take a look at what has happened in uh, the state of Washington with Amazon, when you look around the country and you see these whole new industries be being sparked, um, we, there isn't a logical winner there, but we need to make those investments in order to be successful for the long call. Okay, Brian Burke of Sun Mountain Capital. Sure, yeah, um, thank you. Um, you know, the, uh, the best case for the Wisconsin future economy, when I was thinking about uh, this panel and this question, uh, there are a whole set of questions that came to my mind. Uh, one of those is, what, what is the best case? And is the best case for, uh, for Madison the same as the best case for a small town in Wisconsin that doesn't have the university and the kind of resources and the sort of workforce that, you know, the educated workforce that we find in Madison? Um, and secondly, um, I, I agree with a lot of what Kevin has said, and that is when, when you know, we have the fortune at Sun Mountain Capital of working on uh, many different states in the United States and also working in the country of Mexico and understanding some of those uh, states and, and the country of Mexico uh, for sure have spent time mapping out, a, you know, a 10, 15, 20 year plan, thinking about how to address all the different stakeholders to identify what is ideal and how does that work in the context of thinking about your core existing business, as, as Kevin was saying, how do you defend that and, and uh, ensure that you've got the right educated workforce, but also how do you grow and build on that core? And the, um, and, and you know, the, the only, there's no simple answer. It's a very multifaceted um, um, question and a multifaceted problem. And it requires a, a multifaceted solution that incorporates uh, policy, that incor incorporates the kind of educational curriculum that you see for the workforce, it incorporates capital availability, and, and incorporates, you know, keeping entrepreneurs like, like Kevin and others, you know, here to build their companies here and not other places. Okay, Kurt Barr from WMC, Wisconsin Manufacturers and Commerce. Well, I agree with uh, a lot of what's already been said. Um, let me just touch on a few things. I, I think uh, the Chancellor is absolutely right. I'm, I guess I'm not surprised to hear you say that as an economist, but we're a relatively small state. We're just 2% of uh, US GDP. Um, I often refer to us as a windsock economy. When the winds blow from the national economy or a global economy, Wisconsin is going to go in that direction. Uh, so we're really dependent on what's happening uh, globally and, and, and nationally. Uh, so if the Wisconsin, Wisconsin economy is dependent on, on what happens uh, in, outside our, our borders. What we can control, of course, are, is our business climate. And um, I think we've done an awful lot to try and make ourselves more competitive. We've seen that in some of the national rankings. I care less about those national rankings. I care about what CEOs and, and um, site selectors, uh, the people who make the decision about expansion and relocation care about. And they seem to have liked Wisconsin. 
Um, workforce was mentioned. I think that that is by far our biggest challenge. I call it our mega issue. I don't see it changing anytime soon. Um, it is a very difficult uh, issue to address. How do you keep people in the state from, from leaving? And, and frankly, we're doing a much better job of that. Um, the outward migration patterns are largely now uh, retiring baby boomers who are domiciling to lower tax locations with also you know, more favorable winters. Um, but we're, we're doing a better job of keeping uh, our graduates, our, our best and bright, brightest. We need to do more. Uh, but we also are going to have to attract people in. Um, and that is really hard. Um, it's hard to get people to relocate. Um, we have seen positive migration patterns from Illinois. Uh, Illinois has lost more population than any other state in the union over the last three years, according to the Census Bureau. Um, we're getting uh, the second most of those Illinoisans. Um, I think Indiana's number one. Uh, we need to get more, frankly, and, and there's a reason why Foxconn selected uh, southeastern Wisconsin. Uh, they wanted our business climate. They wanted to tap into the Illinois, the Chicagoland Population Center, which happens to be the third largest in the United States. And then something else, we, we, which is an absolute imperative, is, is immigration. Um, we're going to have to bring people in uh, internationally. I knew somebody would mention Foxconn, and we will come back to that. Don't worry, Kurt. Okay, but I want to go off of something that uh, Brian Burke from Sun Mountain Capital talked about, and I'll, I'll let you take this first, Brian. You talked about making sure that uh, what happens um, uh, in the innovation economy, in the new economy, doesn't just happen in the metro areas. It happens, you know, around Wisconsin. Uh, you, I guess you could talk about what, you know, uh, the Badger Fund is doing to accelerate that and what you see happening you know in the next couple decades in that regard because i think often a lot of people uh feel left behind sure thank you yeah you know the uh, for those of you who are not aware uh, sun mountain capital has partnered with a local um, venture capitalist to run the badger fund of funds and one of the uh, tenants that we had when when we made the proposal was to ensure that there is um, growth capital or at-risk capital available in areas outside of Madison where it's traditionally been, been headquartered, and, and, and for a number of reasons. Um, the, um, and one of our basic uh, um, beliefs is that entrepreneurship is, is fundamentally a, a question of, of incidence and, or occurrence in, in a given population. And you have, um, in Wisconsin, you have a number of academic institutions, you have entrepreneurs who are not in Madison and to, to a lesser extent not in Milwaukee. And those are the ones that we saw as, as being almost the most starved for some kind of growth capital. So one of our goals has been to ensure that there's capital in, in La Crosse, capital in sort of the, the Fox Valley, and of course in Madison too, and in Milwaukee as well. But you know we wanna make sure it's kind of spread around the state to enable entrepreneurs who are, who are working in, in La Crosse or in Eau Claire um, the, the ability, if their ideas merit funding, then to have an ability to actually go and get that funding to help grow companies there and, and not just here. Okay, I think uh, Chancellor Blank, uh, you, you mentioned this as a, something you wanted to talk about too, so go ahead. So um, having 
capital available to small town and rural Wisconsin is absolutely important. I completely agree with Brian. But there's another um, really important piece, and that's infrastructure. Um, the good news for rural and small town areas is that geography is no longer de destiny. You don't have to live in the city to run a big business to, to be in touch with all of your friends and relatives and your business associates. And of course, small town and rural Wisconsin in many cases is just a beautiful, quiet area to live. And there are increasing numbers of people who want to be in that area, but then want to connect. But to do that, you need the infrastructure. And there are two key pieces of infrastructure. Um, one is roads. Um, whenever I go up to northern Wisconsin and talk with different economic development groups or um, mayor or others, they always talk about the fact that that freeway doesn't go north um, beyond, you know, Wausau and Manitowoc, right? Um, you know, roads really matter, and number two, connectivity matters. Now, both of those, for better or for worse, are public agendas where the state and the localities have to partner together. Now, they, they need to work with the private sector. Small towns need to be entrepreneurial. They need to be working to attract business and retain um, people. But um, if you don't have the infrastructure, it's really going to be hard. Okay, so President uh, Madison College President Daniels, you talked about it, uh, having equal access to education, and I think this would, this goes to that. So some of the people obviously left behind, uh, you know, are people in urban areas uh, uh, too. So uh, again, how do you make sure that people aren't left behind by the new economy? Well, let me first talk about the rural areas. Uh, we have four campuses that are really in rural South Central Wisconsin. And one of the biggest problems are the K-12 and getting teachers at the K-12 level. Because many of them don't want to go into the rural areas. And when you have that problem, you're not having the types of training program necessary for those children to be moving up to our post-secondary institutions. So I think that's a critical issue that we're facing uh, in the rural areas. As we also think about those populations uh, that uh, have not and those who have, we're going to have to find ways to actually narrow that gap. Uh, one of the reasons that we went to, are uh, going to have a campus on the south side of Madison is to focus on a population that is in poverty, that is unskilled, underprepared, unemployed, underemployed. Many of those individuals in that area may be working three and four jobs just to make one, and it's still not a family-supporting <coughs> wage. So how, in fact, do we move in that way? And that's why we want to address the need by the program so that they can actually be the quality workforce that we need. Okay, so uh, I assume Kevin and Kurt, you want to weigh in on this? Uh, go ahead. Um, developing a, an economy um, really isn't that complicated, but it is hard. It takes a lot of work, and it requires, at the end of the day, entrepreneurship, any way you look at it. If you want job growth in this country, all net job growth, all net job growth comes from young companies over a long period of time. That's what the data show. Once a company is five years old, on average, you add them all up, they're losing jobs. So the goal isn't to doing a Foxconn deal. It's it's thinking about it totally backwards. If you really want to grow an economy, and in this state, 46% of all new jobs come from companies five years old and younger. Think about that. All the other companies that have been around only account for about half the job growth. If you take exact sciences as an example, if you, um, the predecessor in many ways was third wave technologies. 
I was CEO of Third Wave Technologies after leaving GE Healthcare, and we had about 150 employees. It was acquired. Two of us, uh, our CFO, Manish Aurora, and I, essentially restarted Exact Sciences, which was a failed Boston company here, with a business plan and a little office in uh, the university's research park. Nine years later, we have paid $15 million of taxes to the state just through employee uh, tax uh, payments, not including any of the impact. We, have, we manufacture our collection kits in northern Wisconsin. We make our enzymes, or our, a partner, Promega, makes our enzymes. Another partner locally here makes our plasmids. So we have this robust ecosystem. But it started with two people. There was no capital for us in this state. We had to go to the coast. Now, we chose to keep doing it here, even though it was really hard. It made more sense to do it elsewhere. Now, to Jack's point, um, and to Kurt's point about attracting people into the state, we are getting, uh, we have a $15 minimum um, starting salary, and we're getting people from the south side of Madison. We are looking at a site on the southwest side of Madison, these are jobs with very good benefits, health insurance, uh, stock options, bonuses for everybody in the company if the company hits the targets. These are the types of companies that we should be aggressively uh, starting and funding. The, the, thank you. The, the notion of spending $3 billion on Foxconn is maddening. It's like Barnum and Bailey took over the state capital. In, in, in what world would you spend $3 billion to attract between 3,000 and 13,000 jobs? Go out and create those companies where the decision makers in those companies live in our communities and invest back in our communities, not back in Taiwan. So you can, Kurt and I chatted about this beforehand. It's something I obviously passion, I feel passionately about it because it sends a message. I'm an employee of a public company. I have to report to a board of directors, and they ask me every board meeting, why don't we have a plant in a different uh, a lab in a different part of the country? You know, I know what their next question is. Well, the price is $250,000 per job. And it's, it just is discouraging to those of us who are entrepreneurs to see that type of capital. You know, Brian manages about a $40 million effort here in Wisconsin, 40 million, that's, there just isn't much available for entrepreneurs, and we really have to change that. So, so Kurt, I guess you, you got your wish. You're going to get to talk about Foxconn now. I already did. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay, so, you know, um, I mean, I guess if you want to, debate uh, uh, Kevin Conroy's point about wouldn't this money be better spent uh, nurturing entrepreneurs instead of uh, bringing in ma uh, uh, a manufacturing uh, enterprise from Taiwan? I think, uh, I think Foxconn is a, um, is a fantastic opportunity for the state. Uh, WMC was all in for it, um, although some of the concerns we've had are on the workforce side of things. Um, because as it is, 77% of our members say they're having trouble finding workers. But you look at it, 170 years of statehood, you're looking at 13,000 jobs just at Foxconn, and I think they're vastly underestimating the economic impact of the supply chain. I just met with a 
potential supplier uh, earlier this week talking about the natural resources we have that they will need in order to supply Foxconn and the types of jobs that they're going to create. For every one factory job, you create 2.5 to 3 jobs in other sectors of the economy, transportation, energy, banking, uh, um, health care. Um, so the multiplier effect that you get with manufacturing is what you get with mining uh, and agriculture. I mean, you, you make it, you mine it, you grow it. That's how you create wealth in an economy. Um, and I think it's a tremendous opportunity, and the, the proof is in the other states that were competing you know, vigorously to try and win this. You had Ohio, uh, Governor Kasich was uh, you know, trying to do a last minute uh, bid for Foxconn even at the last minute after the, the decision and the announcement had already been made. I mean, these were big states that have big budgets that uh, were going to put a lot more on the table than what Wisconsin was able to put on the, on the table, and it was a combination of the proximity to that uh, labor market in uh, Illinois, our business climate, and of course also the proximity to Lake Michigan water, which they'll need as well. So all of those things align for Wisconsin, and I think it's going to be a tremendous opportunity for the state that'll pay big dividends. Okay, so what's the future, uh, panelists? I know it's politically loaded, but is the future Foxconn, or is it nurturing entrepreneurs? Is, is it Amazon? What's the future? Uh, what's the future look like for Wisconsin? Or what should Wisconsin spend its money on, I guess? So I, I think this has to be a both and. You know, this is not a set of, you know, are we going to have new startups or are we going to have big advanced manufacturing companies here? Wisconsin has a long tradition of being a manufacturing state. And um, we do want to bid to bring in and to grow um, advanced high-tech manufacturing. That's not old line manufacturing. That is manufacturing that requires precision engineering, real-time software changes. It's probably going to be manufacturing where the products are going to be innovating almost you know, yearly or more frequently. That's the sort of manufacturing that's going to be in the United States and stay here, and that's what we've got to be bidding for. Um, we can argue about whether the Foxconn bids were too high. Um, I know a lot about economic development deals. This was a little bit on the high side, I have to say. Um, but um, you know, having, um, having said we need to do that, we absolutely need more venture capital in this state to be driving some of the startups. And Kevin is absolutely right that the really rapid growth in jobs comes when you have something like an exec science or an epic that establishes itself and just takes off, right? Now, there are a lot of new businesses that never grow, right? You know, many new businesses fail or stay at a small level. But you've always got to be looking to nurture those ones that, um, you know, take some risks. And um, we are way behind our peers in other states in the amount of capital that our state combined with private investors, and in other states they've done this jointly, has put into um, venture capital and new startup capital. Go ahead, Brian Burke from Sun Mountain Capital. Why don't you speak to that? Uh, because uh, you know there's some there's state money involved, and you and the Badger Fund of Funds was matching it uh, or adding to it. So why don't you go with that? Yeah, you know, I um, uh, actually I think the, uh, the 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 chancellor's comments are, are, are right on, and that is what, what we've seen again. You know, we have the benefit of seeing what's been effective in other states, and, and not just California, but smaller states like Utah. And, and Oregon that have had very successful uh, e economies, and not just in terms of unemployment levels, but the nature and type of jobs that are created are these high-wage, you know, full-benefit jobs. And one of the things that these states share is they actually have developed economic development policies to think about how to provide support and, and encourage capital formation for the uh, entrepreneurial economy. You know, how do you take your seed corn, your, your best and brightest entrepreneurs, who you know want to live in a state despite the hurdles of starting a company in the state, and how do you put in place 
the uh, resources to help them be successful. And, and some of that is capital, some of that is, is uh, po policy, some of that is uh, training and, and, and workforce support. It's, it's a very, again, it's a multifaceted problem, it's a multifaceted solution. But um, you know, our, our experience has been that, that it is, um, uh, that again, these most, the, the states that, have, um, that we look at as the ones who have pulled ahead of the pack are the ones that have had thoughtful policies in place and how to actually nurture those in addition to successfully uh, attracting uh, you know, larger companies like the Foxconn. Okay, so, okay, when, uh, I've always thought of or been told Wisconsin's an export-driven economy. We make things and then people overseas buy them. And so, yes, some of that has to do with the national economy, the price of the dollar, um, you know, our relationships uh, overseas with countries and whatnot. But um, am I wrong in thinking that, or, or are we wrong in, in, in uh, capsulating uh, the description of the Wisconsin economy as an export-driven economy? Is that, just, is that just too narrow? Um. Uh, well, we, we make things, we process things, we grow things, and, and we do ship quite a, sorry, uh, quite a few of them overseas, so I think that that's accurate, and again, that's how you create wealth. Well, it, it is not the only way you create wealth. If you take a look, look at Epic, what they do is they sell, they sell knowledge. They sell, some, they sell software and are the dominant supplier of uh, hospital-based software, medical-based software in the world. And they hire, what is it, 1,500 people a year, and they get paid about $100,000 a year, bringing that uh, wealth into the economy. And to, again, back when you think about strategic growth, you have to think about extending and defending the core and uh, the work that WMC does. We happen to be a, uh, a member of WMC, and some of the work that occurs is important work to make sure that we have that strong economy. But the next two legs is if you take a look at where the growth is occurring, the growth is going to occur in America. You hate to say it, but it is not all going to be manufacturing. It is going to be a knowledge-based economy. It's going to be innovations. Healthcare is 20% of our U.S. economy. Are we going to be innovators in healthcare, or are we just going to be service providers and a cost center for healthcare? We let, can do it. Let me just comment on that because I don't disagree with that at all. In fact, we just uh, worked with Generator on a uh, matchmaking uh, conference where we brought in some, the iconic manufacturers in the Midwest, not just Wisconsin, but you know Johnson Controls, Harley-Davidson, Briggs & Stratton, you name it. They were all there, and they were meeting with young entrepreneurs. Um, and so the, and it, they're, they're looking to make acquisitions, to buy the intellectual property for exactly what Kevin's talking about. So manufacturers would not disagree with that at all. Okay, though, I, oh, I, yes, I was just gonna say though, um, uh, excuse me, Chancellor, just about how education, okay, we're talking about keeping the workforce and training them for future jobs, either in the knowledge economy or in high-tech manufacturing. So that sort of points to you know, the education system and what uh, I think there's a challenge afoot, uh, you know, in this state. Certainly, I think policymakers who are for Foxconn and other things are saying, "Okay, now it's time for the education system to step up." And so I'm wondering about that challenge, or uh, are they, or, or is there a misconceived notion that you know that you're not doing it now? So, go ahead. Yeah. So. Um if you look at where there have been um, strong economic growth, and there are areas of this country that have really taken off in a whole variety of ways, you go down to Greenville, South Carolina, which was a very sleepy rural area 30 years ago, and is now a thriving advanced manufacturing economy. 
all of, all of those clusters of growth have inside of them one, if not multiple numbers, of major higher educational institutions and at least one really major research university. You know, whether you're talking about making things or selling ideas, and both of them are going to be very important in tomorrow in the economy of the future, you've got to have both the educated workforce and the research infrastructure that supports that. Businesses want to be near universities because they want to be on the cutting edge of where the new ideas are coming from. Grab them out of the university, bring the ideas into their plant or in, into their um, whatever the product line is that they're producing. And um, you know, one of the things that I think is not well understood at this point um, in the state is that it's not just about education and classroom and students. It's also about research and innovation and the value of research, which is just hard to talk about. Research is a really odd industry, right? You know, it's what do you do when you go sit in front of your computer for eight hours a day? Why aren't you in the classroom teaching? That would be so much more productive. And we've got to develop a much better appreciation in this state of what drives innovation and you know, how you fund that. And some of that is all things we've been talking about, the venture capital, but some of it is really about places like UW-Madison, which is one of the top research universities in the world. That is golden for this state, and we can't afford to lose that. I think what the chancellor also speaks to is the investment, especially in research institutions, but there's another investment, and that investment is in, our, in this state, there are technical colleges. When you think about those positions, that are going to be hired, technical positions that need to be hired, they're less than the baccalaureate. How do we get those individuals in that training uh, position where they can actually be hired in, in the workforce? When I think about the, the return on investment, uh, I know there's return on investment from uh, our friends in the private sector uh, with new startups. There's also return on investment when you're investing in education from K all the way through and then lifespan learning. That is gonna be important for us because if you have that educated workforce, you can actually attract businesses to your, to your area. This is happening across the country. You talk about Austin. You had Austin Community College that provides the technical training that it adds to that economy within Austin. It happens in California, it happened in Texas. It can also be here as well. Okay, so we're gonna go to some questions from the audience. I'm gonna lump some of the questions together, so forgive me if I'm not reading your question verbatim. Uh, but I think that there's a, a, a few of the questions address uh, how to avoid just concentrating uh, efforts uh, in industries with low-wage jobs, how do we nurture high-wage jobs? And, um, and I, I think that, that you know, that's a, it's a good topic. Uh, for Wisconsin because of the various uh, economic sectors, not just uh, manufacturing, but agriculture. So how do we nurture the high-wage jobs, the sustaining high-wage jobs? Go ahead, anybody wanna jump right in? Well, I, I, I guess my main comment is that um, there are not going to be what we think of as high-wage, middle-income or above-middle-income jobs available to people who have only a high school degree or less in this kind. That's just, those are the jobs that have gone away, and those are the communities that have been devastated. And you're going to need either the technical degree, or you're gonna need the four-year college degree, or more. And once you have that, then you've got the workforce that brings those jobs in, because those are the people that places like Epic and Exact Science um, and Foxconn and Harley-Davidson and others are hiring. Um, given the nature of what, you know, of what the future economy looks like. 
Okay, Kurt Bauer from WMC. Well, yeah, WMC represents more than just manufacturing, but we're, you know, manufacturing's in our name, so uh, I guess I'll talk a little bit more about manufacturing. It is the foundation of the Wisconsin economy. It's 20% of state GDP, uh, and as I said, it has that multiplier uh, effect. Um, and it's also the backbone of the middle class. If you want middle class jobs, if you want a sustained, stable, broad middle class in the state of Wisconsin, manufacturing is going to have to be a part of it. And they, as I said, they, they, manufacturing jobs in Wisconsin pay about 30% above the median. Um, and the other nice thing about manufacturing um, is that it has uh, jobs available for every skill level. Um, entry level jobs, you know, starting around $15 an hour with benefits, you know, in material handling or a forklift operator, working your way up to a machinist and a high skilled welder, uh, millwright, and then of course you need the engineers. So you, I mean, manufacturers need Jack, they need uh, uh, Chancellor Blank, they need the entire system, um, and obviously K-12 as well. But I certainly do agree that this economy is going to require people to, to, to move on. I mean, you've got to have a high school education, and you're going to have to have some sort of training at a technical college or a university uh, if, if you're going, going to have any chance of having a middle class job. I think that it, what Kurt says is really important. We do need to strengthen that base. And, and the and is really important, we really need to innovate because the U.S. economy is not moving in the direction quickly of manufacturing. Again, the, the statistics don't lie. 20% of the jobs, 10% of the job growth, 5% of the new company formation. We have to in this state. We really have to lever off of the strengths of our, the research that is going on in this state at our uh, companies and at this university, which is a remarkable source of innovation. I sat on the, uh, there was a committee called the Coulter Committee, and the Coulter Foundation gave $10 million to researchers who are trying to get their new innovations out into the world of Series A funding. And it went on for about five years. I think it ended in 2010 because there was no money to match it. And I was blown away. There were 30 different professors who came to the committee asking for $100,000, $250,000 to develop their product, typically a product which would be manufactured, by the way, uh, out of the engineering department, some people from the computer science department. And there wasn't $10 million to match what they were going to give another $10 million to extend this for another decade. And it went away. This is about public policy. And public policy can either be good public policy or it can be bad public policy. Public policy, if we're going to in, uh, improve the economy in this state, we have to focus on the innovators. We have to do more truthfully at UW to, to partner with companies. It, it ranks fairly low on getting corporate partnerships. We need to do more there. It's, it's not really complicated, it's just hard work. Well, it's multifaceted, right? We're talking about education system, we're talking about doing, you said and, not or, because it's, it's everything, right? Uh, okay, um, what about the, there's a fear out there, I think, that uh, not just at Foxconn or wherever in manufacturing, I think it's, uh, it can be uh, across other sectors about automation, about automation um, acing out uh, you know, employment opportunities. Um, 
that's one of the questions here from the audience. What kind of safety net is there in Wisconsin to help workers who may be aced out by automation? So, you know, one of the things that um, being in a much more high innovation economy, which is true across the United States, does is that it means the world is changing faster. And that's a scary thing. And I know that the students that I'm training who are going to go and get some job at age 22 or 23 are probably going to be in very different jobs at ages 42, much less 62. And, um, you know, automation is one cause of that. There are a number of other things going on as well that are driving some of that. Um, so, uh, you know, the, the issue is not necessarily that you're going to lose jobs. The issue, you know, in, net, in aggregate, the issue is the jobs you're working in are going to disappear, and there's going to be another job that opens up which might require some different skill sets. So it really creates this challenge, and I, this is, I know this is a, um, you know, a, a, a sort of a catchphrase people use a lot of sort of the lifelong learning, the nimbleness in terms of skills and ability to adapt your career. Some people are better that at that than others. It's one of the things that both Jack and I need to be teaching to our students. We're not educating people anymore for a job. We're educating them for a set of jobs we don't even know about and we've always got to have in mind what are the skills that's going to require. But it, you know, it, the anxiety that that creates of facing the fact that you know, you're probably going to, over your lifetime, be forced to change jobs um, perhaps spend some time in unemployment, um, perhaps spend some time retooling. Um, we are not well structured to support people through that. And the lack of sort of the, um, the support systems that let people do that easily, if you don't have savings yourself, it's a lot harder to get it done. Um, that's just a problem and one that I, I think is going to be in front of us as public policy very strongly over the next 10 to 20 years. All right, what about a panel? Should, should workers fear automation? I don't think they should fear automation at all. I think what they need to be looking at is the chance to talk about what are, how do they adapt to the new technologies that come out or, or you have a new product, how do you adapt to that new product? Um, I think we've got to do a much better job, especially at the technical colleges, looking at and working with our industry partners. What's coming down the road? What, what can we do to help folks who need to have more adapting uh, changes to their jobs if we don't know what's actually coming. We don't do a good job of that future type of situation and we need to be there. Yeah, right, there are four million uh, new software coding jobs expected over about the next decade. And we don't have the workers to do those jobs. Kurt, uh, you know, really highlighted on Sunday and Monday in the Wisconsin State Journal this need for job training. Yes. There is no doubt in the history of the world, innovation keeps moving forward and there's robots and there are things that create efficiencies. But with people who want to work hard and who are willing to learn and reach out and get the tremendous resources that, that we have, they can be retrained and some of them may become coders. Some may work in a customer contact summer center. Some may um, go back to school and become a scientist. Um, it, it's not easy. It, it, there are displacements that occur, but as long as we have a robust way to retrain people and educate people in a really flexible way, then we win. And I think that's the kind of the core. I'm not originally from Wisconsin. One of the things that really attracts me to Wisconsin is this kind of core work ethic and this core um, basic decency that 
that makes a difference, I think, to the employers who say, look, yeah, we're, we're going to retrain you. We're going to give you the, the tools that you need to do a different job. And uh, as long as we keep doing that well, I don't think people really need to have a, a lot of trepidation about the, the future. Yeah, to, to that point, um, you can argue whether or not our post-secondary system is um, is attuned to where we are population-wise, but to Kevin's point, you, we've got 16 technical colleges. I argue that we have the best technical college system in the United States. We've got 13 UW uh, four-year campuses, 13 two years, and then we've got uh, a slew of uh, private colleges and universities. Anywhere in the state, you're within a stone's throw of an institution of higher learning where you can retrain. One thing that I think people don't think about when it comes to automation and the impact is they often will think about uh, manufacturing and, and robotics, but you know there was just a, a story I read in Forbes uh, this week that piqued my interest because I used to be in banking. 30% of banking jobs are probably going to be obsolete in the next 10 years. So there's a, a lot of this um, um, automation, a lot of this uh, artificial intelligence that's actually impacting blue-collar jobs, traditionally blue-collar jobs that you wouldn't necessarily associate with being vulnerable uh, to automation, and I think people need to think about that as well. I just hope moderators are never automated. You know, I, I just wanted to add, I, I agree with uh, everything that's been said, but you know, what, what we tend to forget, automation is, um, a, is you know, topical and, and, and current, but what we forget is that, you know, 30 years ago, it was outsourcing to Asia that was taking the manufacturing jobs. And, and, a lot, and, a, and the economy changed dramatically because of that. And automation will, uh, has, and will continue to change the nature of our companies dramatically. It's that relearning, uh, refreshing the skill set is the only thing that you can count on uh, for a position in the future. Okay, this calls to mind, uh, um, this is not an audience question, this is my question. This calls to mind, uh, you know, Janesville and Kenosha. So Kenosha, you know, lost uh, American Motors in the late 80s. And then, uh, you know, uh, Janesville uh, in, a, in this decade, uh, you know, lost the, the GM plant. And, you know, you talk about lifelong learning and, um, you know, there was a book written about, uh, you know, the Janesville experience uh, uh, about how hard it was for these workers in this environment to retrain. Uh, and so, I, again, you know, it's, uh, you know, back to the economy of the future in Wisconsin and not having people left behind. And it's just like, uh, you know, it's taken Kenosha a lot of uh, imported uh, Illinois residents and others, you know, to come back after all these years. You know, Kenosha's doing okay now. But, you know, Janesville, what, you know, what happens to the Janesvilles of, of the state, right? That's a contemplative question. But anyway, well, let me, yeah, I'm from Beloit, so that's close to Janesville. A lot of my high school uh, class went, went and worked up in, in Janesville and, of course, lost their jobs. Some of them were able to relocate to other GM plants. Some went down to Belvedere and, and worked at the Chrysler plant there. Um, some had to retool, and Blackhawk Technical College did a great job, just like Gateway does in, in Kenosha. Um, whenever that happens, I mean, this, this is the, the rub on manufacturing. One of the reasons why we have an uh, image problem in manufacturing is when a big plant like that closes and displaces 500 people, uh, people are afraid to, to have their kid, uh, son or daughter, you know, go into that career area. 
but the bottom line is, is that those skills are portable. Um, the unfortunate thing is that you have to move. What happened in Janesville is the timing happened in the Great Recession. So you had a lot of people who were upside down on their mortgages, so they couldn't just e easily divest themselves of the community. Um, you, you might be divorced, and you have uh, um, joint custody of your children. You have aging parents. I mean, it's not that easy. And, and I read a study that we're the least portable we've been uh, in, our, in our country's history. People just don't move like they once upon a time did. The, the fortunate thing is, is that you, you can usually find another job. The unfortunate thing is, is that you're going to take a haircut on your seniority, on the vacations. So this happened to my brother-in-law. He worked at K, KC. Uh, he did find another job at a paper plant, um, but he had to start at the bottom rung. He had accumulated four weeks of vacation. He had to start over, and that's unfortunate. Um, but we fortunately do have you know, the jobs. It's just when they, clo when they close, you do have to, there's, there's going to be pain. Anybody else want to weigh in on that? Um, so if you read the Janesville book, it's a great book. I recommend it to all of you that's sort of written about this. Um, one of the things that just really comes through again and again is that the workers were in some degree of shock. They were all absolutely sure they were going to have that job for life. Their fathers had had it for life, or their mothers and their grandfathers had had it for life, and they were just waiting to put in their years to collect their pension. They were set, and suddenly they weren't. And I will say that we can't communicate to anyone in this day and age, they're going to get a job with lifetime security of that sort. And that is a real shift to the economy. It's one reason people are angry. Um, but, you know, I think they might have adapted better if they hadn't been so completely surprised, right? They, they just, they, it never occurred to them they'd have to go through this. Let me say one other thing. It's not automation here that I think is the biggest concern. I think the biggest concern is an economy where jobs increasingly, because they turn over fast and because of the way in which they're put together by companies, are either gig jobs or they don't come with benefits in one form or another. And it's the lack of pensions, particularly in the lack of health care, that you can no longer assume that's going to come tied to your job. And we have not done a good job of adjusting to that, as our current debate about health care suggests. And until we figure out a way to provide smoother transitions and availability of how people access health care pensions and other benefits, um, in a world where they're going to shift jobs frequently, and, so, and a lot of those things aren't going to come with jobs, is, you know, that, that is going to be a key argument we are going to keep having in this country until we solve it. Okay, so another question from the audience here. And how is uh, your institution's government helping, um, not just manufacturers, everybody in Wisconsin, transition to clean energy, and how could that be a growth area uh, in, uh, for jobs in the state? Um, we're still, uh, I think, um, a coal-dominated uh, power uh, state, but you know, what, what's the future look like for clean energy, and how could that uh, help the Wisconsin economy? Who wants to weigh in? Brian, you want got some uh, companies that you're uh, invested in? Yeah, you know, the um, um, so we're firm believers that the future has got to uh, include clean energy in, in Wisconsin and other states around the country. I mean, in some sense, it's, it's given the efficiencies that have been achieved in wind and solar, it's almost, almost a no-brainer. It's inevitable. The, and the more that we can do now to accelerate that, the better position we'll be. Um, we, have, uh, we have focused on looking at clean energy, and also I would add to that um, um, other resources like fresh water and, and, and other kinds of uh, um, environmentally friendly technologies. And we think Wisconsin is in a very unique position given some of the research programs that are taking place here. And also, given you know the, the uh, agricultural roots of the uh, of the economy, so there's a real sensitivity to to that that we don't see in other states. Uh, 
at our college, we are really focused on sustainability. So we just entered into an agreement with MG&E and we'll be uh, having 1.2 megawatt of PV. And it'll go on our major building at Truex. That will not just decrease the, uh, what we already have, our carbon footprint, but we will be actually saving on our utility up to 24 to 25%. I think as we think about buildings, we need to uh, ensure that our buildings are going to be uh, sustainable and you're training folks, and that's what we're using also as a training environment for folks in that area so that we can continue to do this throughout the state. This is one where um, the research university matters. We have some of the best people working on sustainability in the country. Our largest federal grant is a tens of millions of dollars grant that the Wisconsin Energy Institute just got renewed from the Department of Energy, working on alternative sources of sustainable energy that sits about five blocks down the road that way. And um, it's that type of work that's going to attract um, the businesses and the people um, who want to work on sustainable energy to locate in this area. Okay, I'm going to move through this question here. Uh, we're getting uh, close to the end there, but I, I think I want to read this question verbatim. I'm an angel investor. My concern with $3 billion state funding commitment to Foxconn is the availability of tax credits like that for other companies. What are other programs that will lose state funding as a result? So is it a trade-off? Is, is, a, is a big uh, incentive package for Foxconn mean that others, other companies can't get it? Let's just talk about other companies, let alone other state funding. It's, a, it's about a $150 million hit to a budget that's pretty tight. Uh, proof is that we just got a budget uh, this last week. I mean, it's not, there isn't a lot of cushion. There's not a big rainy day fund. And uh, if you look at the data from 2010 to 2015, there, were about, there was about $180 million of incentives given. 80% of them were given to large companies. Hey, it's, it's easy. Those are the brand names that you know. And only 20% of that was given to uh, smaller startups. This is public policy. Where do you want to make your bets? Well, we know where job growth comes from. We know where long-term economic growth comes from. And uh, $3 billion is just way too much. Hey, look, if this were for half a billion, it, it, it might then make some economic sense. And it's certainly great to have a company come to the state. But it's going to be a net drain on the budget of about $150 million a year for the next decade. What, of course it's going to diminish the ability. We've only been able to do a $40 million fund. And by the way, it excluded life science companies. By the way, that fund excluded life sciences company, despite the growth of life sciences as an important part of the, not, not only the U.S. economy, but the global economy. This is just bad public policy. And it, it will crowd, crowd out those other things. So we need to, um, you know, keep fighting. Entrepreneurs are tough because they don't have a natural lobbying group that can really galvanize the legislature. It's, it's hard. And I don't blame, you know, Kurt does his job. And Kurt does his job very, very well. But from a long-term public policy standpoint, it's a pretty bad idea. So, Kurt, you do your job too well. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we've, so done some, we've done some things for exact sciences, too. <laughs> okay, um, but what about the idea? So I'm a company, hey, well, all right, let's go to Wisconsin. They're going to give me $3 billion. I think the bigger threat 
frankly, is workforce again. Um, I, I, I know I sound like a broken record on this. I, I talk about it all the time because people are your workforce, they're your consumers, and they're your taxpayers. And we're going to have fewer of all three. And if you have fewer taxpayers, it's going to put a strain on absolutely everything. I, you know. You look at the UW system budget, you look at the transportation budget, you look at a variety of different things, K-12, I mean, all of the things that, uh, that are priorities in that budget are going to be very vulnerable to the fact that we just don't have enough people to replace the aging baby boomers. From my perspective, you bring in more tra taxpayers, you you'll solve a lot of these different problems, and right now, I think that's in jeopardy. Okay, well, let's talk that, and let's just close uh, everybody. I think Kurt started off, the biggest challenge for him down the line, 25 years. It's, it's workforce, workforce, workforce. Okay, uh, let's let's everybody get their last say. What's the biggest challenge here for in the next 25 years? I, I, you know, workforce, workforce, workforce. I think you said it. Um, you know, one of the things that we here at Madison have to be working on, and we can't do this on our own, we can only do this in conjunction with the private sector, is not just how do you educate a whole bunch of people, how do you keep them here? We bring more young people into the state than anyone else by orders of magnitude. And, um, you know, we've got to figure out how we keep a higher percentage of those, you know, I can't tell them, go take a job in Oshkosh, right? Um, it's got to be an effort, and it's an effort that I actually think we should you know, we should be working with the state and with places like Milwaukee and Eau Claire and, you know, to, to show a lot of our out-of-state students what the options are for staying in this state. You know, it's, it's um, there are other ways to do this as well, and I completely agree with Kurt that immigration is another big piece, but if we don't have the workforce, the rest of it doesn't matter much. Okay, Madison College President Daniels, go ahead. Talent development and talent retention. I think those are the two biggest things that we need to be really focusing in on. Uh, students who come to us right now, 85% of them will stay in the state. Well, how can we turn that around to those who are coming to the universities so that we can maintain that talent as well as to attract new talent to the state? Okay, Kevin Conroy, exact sciences. It, it all comes back to uh, it, it, technology and growth. We've hired 800 people. We have had no problem whatsoever in terms of attracting talent. We have 25 people in a training department. We're hiring people from UW like crazy, MATC like crazy, from other companies in town, and most importantly, maybe from out of state. So we're attracting people here, and we can do more of that, and that starts to address all of these, because then we can invest more in our educational systems and training and uh, uh, hopefully be a big part of the growth in the future. And there are a lot of other companies like that that want to do the same thing. Okay, Brian Burke from Sun Mountain Capital. So, you know, again, we, we have, um, at Sun Mountain Capital, because of the nature of investing that we do, we actually have a matrix through which we analyze the potential for different states in terms of actually developing and sustaining a tech-oriented economy. And um, when before we even got involved with the Badger Fund, um, you know, we had run the analysis, and Wisconsin is near the very top of that list, and for a whole host of reasons. The, the, the resources, the technical capabilities, the university, the, you know, uh, for a whole host of reasons. I, I think the biggest uh, uh, challenge is um, will, will the state commit the resources necessary to help nurture these growing companies? And it's, and it's multifaceted. It's, it's the workforce. It's uh, the, the capital, it's the right balance and policy, and you know, there's a terrific opportunity here 
um, to, to, to help the next generation of, of epics and the next generation of exact sciences, you know, to, to really set up shop and stay in the state. But it's having the commitment to uh, putting in place resources that, you know, many different aspects of resources to do that. Okay, we're gonna to have to end there, but I wanna thank our, our panel. I think we, uh, we made some headway on this question, but uh, you know, time will tell on what the future brings for Wisconsin, right? Okay, so Kurt Bauer from WMC, uh, Brian Burke from Sun Mountain Capital, Kevin Conroy from Exotic Sciences, uh, Jack Daniels from uh, Madison College, and Rebecca Blank from UW-Madison. Give them a round of applause.